Jesus, I want to thank you that you have mercy on us and that you have uh, shed your blood on us and you have cleansed us of all sin. And now, Lord, you, you desire to fill us with your Holy Spirit. You have filled us. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to help us turn over control to you, to your Holy Spirit. I pray that we wouldn't try to run our own lives, but we would surrender our lives to you, Jesus. Um, forgive us for when we try to just just take back little bits of that control or even huge giant chunks of control of our own life and, and we, we turn away from you and we run from you and your leadership and your guidance. And Lord, we go our own path, but Jesus, you're so loving and you're patient and you constantly draw us back and you bring us back to where we're, we can be safe and we can learn in your presence and we can be complete and fulfilled in all the things that you offer and promise to us Lord, we want to be right there right now. We know that's your offer, uh, and so I pray that you'd help us to believe it. You'd help us to receive it by faith. And Lord, we pray for the kids up. We pray for Norm and Mandy. You keep them safe and healthy and sane and loving and patient with all those kids, and we pray for the kids. Lord, I pray for the speakers, that they would be powerful by your Holy Spirit, that the kids would have their hearts uh, broken by their sin, and yet touched and healed by your grace and your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Please bless our study of your word, and I pray that it would, it would, it would uh, change the way that we think. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We already did the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We spent uh, 60-some weeks in that. And then we went and did some New Testament, Philippians. Then we studied a little bit of the miracles of Elisha the last 16 weeks. And then we started the book of Exodus last week. And so last week was kind of an intro. If you missed it, go back to the website, take a listen, and it just kind of intros where the book of Exodus stands in the larger picture of the entire Bible. But suffice it to say, God created man, Man rebelled against God. God has always been trying to draw men back into partnership with him, back into fellowship with him. And so he started with this guy, Abraham, after people just kept rebelling, kept rebelling. And at the Tower of Babel, God's like, fine, I'm done with all of you. You want to go your own way? Here, go your own way. Go around the world. You can do your own thing. I'm going to make my own people, people that will Believe me, listen to my promises. So he takes Abraham, and Abraham had this one quality that was really neat, is that Abraham believed God when he said something. He, and that was called what? Faith. Faith. When, when you believe God and take him at his word, that's called faith. And today's Bible study is called The Twists and Turns of Living by Faith. The twists and turns. Because Abraham, he went through a lot of twists and turns. He, didn't, he wasn't perfect, you know. He's like, hey, you want to sleep with my wife? You want to sleep with my wife? Go for it. And it was, it was kind of crazy how big of mistakes he made. You know, but when God said something, he would continually say, oh, oh yeah, oh, I'm an idiot. Yes, I believe you, and I'm going to trust you. And it got to the point where he trusted God so much that God said, I want you to take your son Isaac. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And he's like, okay. I'll do whatever you say. And it says in the Bible that he believed that God was going to raise him back from the dead because God had already promised in his word, through Isaac, I'm going to bring the Messiah, Jesus, and it's going to be through Isaac. And Isaac didn't have any kids yet. So Abraham's like, okay, God's going to have to raise him from the dead. And that's, God worked it out, stopped him. And, and it was this whole story, this, you, you guys remember that story. So Abraham's family grows becomes a big group of people, 70 people. They go down into Egypt. Joseph, uh, one, of his, one of the 12 sons of, of Israel, goes down, becomes the prime minister of Israel. They come down, and they've lived there now for a few hundred years. In the middle of that time, they became slaves. The, the Egyptians enslaved them, and the Egyptians were very mean and racist. And so they enslaved them, made them work, and that's the environment that we begin our story in today. And as we studied chapter 1, we saw that God was beginning to move, and, and, and Pharaoh, he's trying to kill the babies. He said, throw them all into the, the Nile River. And, and as they're doing this, God is going to turn 
what Satan, what Pharaoh, who's a type of Satan, what Satan meant for evil, God is going to turn it around for good. And that's the general lesson we have for today. Satan has done things to you. He's hurt you. He has an intention to destroy you. But God is going to turn these things around to bless you. Isn't that crazy? Satan's plan involves the little boys. And so what do you think God is going to use to bring salvation to the nation of Israel? A little baby boy. Pretty amazing. Yes, you got a question. Right now, he, Pharaoh has said, I'm going to kill all the little boys, all the little boys. And it's really amazing. Uh, well, we'll get into that in just a minute. Sorry. Okay, let's start in our, our verse here. It's uh, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to make it through this entire chapter today. But let's start reading in Exodus chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. And so the woman conceived and bore a son. Now, these people's names are Amram and Jacobed. Jacobed. Amram is the husband and Jacobed is the wife. So if you're thinking of names right now for your babies, those are awesome ones. Real American. But I want you to imagine that their baby and the situation he's being born into, he's being born into slavery and sadness. He, these are bad circumstances. It's almost like no hope what he's being. The entire nation of Israel is in slavery, but his parents are parents of faith. They trust in the Lord. Well, how do I know that? How do you know that, preacher? Well, the Bible tells me so. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it, it, it talks about these guys. It talks about these guys. So in Hebrews 11, chapter 23, It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. They saw he was a beautiful child and so they hid him three months. Back in Exodus now, chapter 2, we pick up the story and it says, and when they saw he was a beautiful child, they hid him three months. Now, as we're reading that, we can think that the reason that they loved him was because they saw he was a beautiful child, like there was a bunch of ugly kids all around. And they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't have an ugly one. Yay, we're going to love him. All babies are ugly when they're first born. So don't worry, you guys who are about to have a baby, they're going to be ugly right at the beginning. Don't worry about it. All just covered with gunk and grossness, but they're beautiful too, right? All right. Um, so they didn't just love him because he was beautiful. They loved him because they knew the word of God. They knew the word of God. What does that mean? It means they had heard the promises of God, and they believed those promises, which is called faith. And the word of God produced faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So they had these promises of God passed down through their family. Remember, they're direct descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12, and they had all these promises of God. God had said, I'm with you, I'm your God. So they had these promises, and these two parents made a decision to believe the promises. And their faith had ramifications on their behavior and their actions. So because they have faith, They're equipped and enabled to love their child. I have a secret for you. Kids are not always lovable. Did you know that? They hardly do anything lovable for the first 20 years of their life. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, 40? She says, I heard a mouth, but 40. And, and God will use your children to show you how horribly, wretchedly selfish you are. And me are. <laughs> totally grammatically incorrect. But <laughs> you, your kid is there as a tool in God's hand to just break you of, I thought I was a loving person. <laughs> no, you're not. 
Why do you think they have Don't Shake a Baby courses and commercials? Because it's a real temptation. Anyway, they didn't love Moses because he was beautiful. They recognized his beauty, the slimy mess of a little boy. They recognized his beauty because they knew the word of God, the promises of God. They saw the time drawing near for God's deliverance. And so they put their faith in the word of the Lord and it affected their actions. Knowing the promises of God will will have the effect of destroying your fear of man. What's the biggest problem in their life right now? The Pharaoh is a big jerk of a man. He's trying to kill all the baby boys. He's a big jerk, and they are not afraid, even when many other people are afraid. Now, those half-glass-empty people, you know who you are. I'm letting my eyes wander <laughs> convictingly. The, you guys say, oh, it's, it's just smart to be afraid in certain situations. Okay? But the Word of God says, don't fear man. Don't fear your circumstances. Don't fear. If you're going to fear one thing, what should you fear? The Lord. The only other thing the Bible says to fear, the only other thing, is not entering into his rest. So in other words, being legalistic and trying to work your own way out in salvation and trying to do your own sanctification by your own strength and effort. Those are the only two things you need to be afraid of, self-reliance and the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is, you got, well, that's a different study. We're not going to get into that. But knowing the promises of God will have the effect of destroying your fear of man. And don't get me wrong, all of you guys have fear of man right now. Your flesh is afraid of, of people's opinions. It's afraid of what people could do to you. I mean, you're walking down the street, you push the lock button on your car because that guy's creepy. Psalm 56.11 says, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Good question. Well, they can murder me and kidnap me. You watch too many movies. They could, but they could just kill you. They're... Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Again, what can man do to me? Is another, what the word of God says. Well, yeah, but those verse, those Bible verses, they were to the Jews and the, the Hebrews. How does that really apply to my life? Oh, so you don't believe them. See, that's the, that's the thing. That's the key. Living by faith means you believe the promises of God. This promise is to you and your kids and all of us. But when we don't believe them, we hold on to that fear and instead of trusting in the Lord, we fear man. And it affects our actions. And instead of loving this baby, the parents of Moses would have done what? They would have sacrificed this baby. They would have killed this baby because of the fear of men. Hebrews 13.6 says, So we may say boldly, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Did Three times God repeats his promise. Did you guys get it? We don't fear what men can do to us. It's a big lesson. Now, I want to highlight some archaeological evidence. You guys like archaeology? Oh, yes. Big nods. We're all nerds in here, so let's nerd out for one second. There's some really great archaeological evidence that they found. So they found a whole bunch of Semitic graves in the Goshen area of Egypt, the northern part of uh, Egypt and the, de the Delta up there. And in these graves, you have normal Semitic graves for a period of time. And then you have the, the bones are all young people, like 35 years old. And what do you think happened that all the people started dying between 30 and 40 years old? That's when slavery kicked in, okay? So you have a period of time where all the people are nice, old, healthy Jews. Then you have a bunch more graves where they're 35 to 40-year-old Jews, all in these graves. Then they find another small section where the skeletons and the bones are 80% female and only 20% male. And that lines up with exactly what we see in the Bible. 
where Pharaoh said, kill the boys, keep the girls alive, right? Found in evidence in archaeology today. All right, enough nerding out. Let's get back to the word. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. So question for you. What do you do when you want to live by faith? Well, the parents of Moses, they remembered how God worked in the past. They look at those promises of God. Then you look at your situation and you do what lines up with God's will in that situation. Um, For a while, it says they hid the baby, which made sense. Okay, well, we're not going to kill our baby because we love him, because we believe in God and God's word. So we're going to hide him. But he grows, he's fussy, and that can't last forever. So their plans need to change. That doesn't mean that they were wrong in the first part of their plans. It just means in that situation, to live by faith was this. And then the situation changes, and to live by faith is something different. And don't get stuck in a rut saying, God has told me I'm going to do this. Yeah, maybe he did, but maybe that was for an hour, and maybe you need to change now. Okay? It doesn't mean you're not living by faith. There are twists and turns in a life of faith. Now, all of them line up with the word of God, and God will never say, kill your baby, ever. But there's different ways that he will use, and he will guide you, and he will trust you. The point for us is that we need to walk each step with God and let him direct your path. In Proverbs 16.9, it says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, I got a practical story of this that my dad just told me this last week. He told me, he he was like a contractor, a home business. He, He had his own business. It was just him doing work. And when we lived in Greeley, and he was the assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel Greeley, there was an entire year where the church didn't have enough money to pay him. And so he lived off of savings just because he knew the Lord had called him to do that. But as he's getting close to that, he's like, Lord, are you going to provide? Are you going to provide? Are you going to provide? He's calling on the Lord and, and he's like, okay, well, you know, God, my heart is to honor you, to live for you, to serve your people, but I need some money. So I'm going to go apply at Home Depot. Just, I know I can get a job there. It'll provide for my needs. And so he goes to Home Depot, he gets the application, and as he's walking out of the door of Home Depot, a lady stops him. And she's like, oh, you were the one who came and did this bid on these windows. I want you to go ahead and get started on that. And he's like, okay, awesome. Because God wasn't upset that he went and got an application at Home Depot. He wasn't losing his faith or not living by faith by going to apply at Home Depot. The Lord stepped in and said, thanks for trusting me. Now let me provide and and get you to the exact place I want you to go. Now, how does this apply into your life? Well, maybe there's something that you have on your heart that you know the Lord has called you to do, but you don't see how it's going to work out right now or you're having troubles with, with, with the supply or anything like that. You know, just walk. Just Go forward, not in your own strength, trusting in the Lord, but move forward, and the Lord will direct your steps. He says that a man plants his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. This is how we walk by faith. And sometimes it is twists and turns of walking by faith where, man, I really thought I was supposed to join this team or this ministry over here, but the Lord directed me over here, and oh man, then I'm over here, and then I'm back, and Oh, I'm just a big mess. And the Lord's like, what are you talking about? I've been directing you every step of the way. Just keep walking with me, and I'll get you into the place that you want to go. See, the Lord is not trying, he's not like playing hide and seek with his will with us, is he? He he puts his will in our hearts. And and he's okay with you going the directions you want to to, uh, uh, try to accomplish his will in his strength. He loves the walk with us. When you go for a walk with a friend, are you really concerned about the end goal? Like, okay, honey, let's go for a walk around this lake. We got to get back. Let's go. 
No, no, tiger. I don't want to see these ducks over here. No. We got to get back over there. That's where we start. See, it's a big mess when you get all stressed out. No, I gotta, we gotta, I'm not going to stop and look at these flowers and smell this duck. We, we, have to, we have to get to our destination. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Your wife would be like, you are an idiot. I do not want to take a walk with you ever again. No, the point of just going for a walk is the walk, is the fellowship. And so many of us treat our walk with the Lord like, okay, got my Bible, let's go. What's the destination here? What am, what's the destination of my life? What am I supposed to do in my life? Am I supposed to go to church all the time and do something there and start the big ministry and blah, 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 blah. And God's like, whoa, 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 calm down. Just look at the duck. Spend time with me. I'm sure there's a Bible lesson in there somewhere. Uh, okay, well... <clears throat> What Jacobed and Amram remember is a story of how God saved another godly young man. Well, he was like 800, 900. But their ancestor, Noah, was saved in what? An ark. And so for a while they hide their baby. That works. And then now they make an ark just like their ancestor did just a mini tiny version for their little baby they thought ma'am didn't our ancestor make an ark when he needed to be saved well that sounds like a good godly plan then let's do the same thing now oh that's crazy god wouldn't do that kind of thing again hey it made sense to them it was as good a plan as any at that time so they did it in faith so what if they would have just said well let's go right up to the house of pharaoh and ask him to take our baby in faith well, it probably would have worked out just fine. But God is looking at their faith, not their plan. So God uses this plan because it was by faith. So another couple could have made the exact same ark, put it in the exact same river, and an alligator would have come up and ate their baby. Maybe. Because they were doing it out of works and not in trust in the Lord, but they were doing it out of works or trying to figure something out instead of just trusting in the lord and that's where we see the key faith is always the key but this is the way that god chose for it all to go down and this is why he put amram and jacobed this is why he put it in their heart um, is because this picture of an ark in the nile is actually a picture for us you and me today about salvation it's really cool, all right? Because the Nile River is where all the babies were being killed. And so the Nile River is a place of death. It's a place of death. Where was Jesus crucified? At a place called Golgotha, which is called Calvary in Greek. And that word Golgotha means what? The skull or a place of death, the place of the skull, kind of, if, if you look at it, even kind of looks like a skull, but it, it just meant it was the place of death, the place where people were killed. And this baby Moses has to go to the place of death, the Nile River, in order to be saved. He has to go into an ark to be saved. And the ark is a picture of, for us, of Jesus, our Savior. We need to go to the place of death. We need to understand that our sins deserve the penalty of death. In fact, nobody can ever go to heaven or get saved unless they, first don't, they, they don't first understand that their sins deserve hell. And when you go to that place and you say, okay, I'm going to believe what God says, that the Ten Commandments are pure and holy, and when I break them, I deserve, I'm a lawbreaker. And a <laughs> Did you see the Babylon Bee this week? Oh, my gosh. So the Babylon Bee said, uh, do you know the Babylon Bee, guys? <clears throat> it's like a really funny satire Christian news thing. Yeah, it's like fake Christian news. And says someone, uh, 
said they were a good person, and Ray Comfort mysteriously appeared out of thin air to say, are you sure about that? Because <clears throat> if you don't know, Ray Comfort is this evangelist, and he's always going around, and he asks people, are you a good person, and are you a good person? And when he asks that, they say, oh, I'm a good person. And he says, oh, really, have you ever told a lie? And then he goes around, and he uses the Ten Commandments to show them that they're a lawbreaker, and they should, by their own judgment, they shouldn't be allowed to go to heaven themselves. And uh, so it was really funny. Anyway, as we do this, and as we embrace that we are sinners at that place, then we can also go into the ark of Jesus to be saved. And so this whole picture, everything we see about this, what they do with Moses, is a picture for us about Jesus. The ark, Jesus, goes into death, goes into the Nile River, and it protects all those who are in it. Protected Moses because he was in it. Now I'm going to relate this to a few things for us in the New Testament. Look in the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 6. We're going to see how this ark thing is just amazing, and it really helps us in our life to understand how our salvation happens, how our deliverance daily from sin happens. In Romans, chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there we see these key words. We says, reckon yourself to be dead. So we see death, the place of death, the Nile. We see, but you're alive to God, a life right there, if you're in Jesus. You see the same thing all right there? And this is our daily life. Now look over in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It all works the same. It's just like this ark thing. Moses was saved from death unto life by the ark. And it's a picture and a type of Jesus and what Jesus does for you. Now, go to chapter 8, verse 1. A couple pages over. And look and see, this is right here. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. So here you see two other words that associate with what we're talking about. The death is flesh. Those two words link together. And life and the Spirit link together. See, when we live a life of freedom and victory, it's when we remain or abide in the ark of Jesus. But when we want to try to get out of the ark, we're like a little baby Moses flopping around in the Nile River and all the alligators are chomping all over us and that's all that we can do in our flesh. That's what he could do. But when he's in the ark, when he stays in the ark, when he remains or abides in the ark, that's the power of the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. God protects him. Now, how did this ark navigate? I love the animated story of, of, of uh, Moses. What was that called? Prince of Egypt? Oh, it was great. You know, uh, Mark Hamill is the voice of uh, one of the guys in it. Anyway, um, Star Wars, deep Star Wars reference. Anyway. In the cartoon, it was awesome because there's like all these waves and the Nile River doesn't have waves. But in the cartoon, it's like waves and, and alligators trying to get him and hippos trying to get Oh, it was, it was really, just visualize for me the danger of floating down the Nile River. Um, and, and it's, how did he survive this? Well, it was a supernatural miracle that he survived, right? Can we all say that he shouldn't have survived in a basket? Like this is a miracle. If you, if you don't think it's a miracle, you're kind of weird. This is a real miracle. And that miracle is for us as a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit that gets us through. Well, how, how, if I just pray to Jesus, how is he going to just take care of me in my life? You know what? I, it's really hard to explain. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's his promise. So if you can believe it and trust it, do. And if you can't, then you're going to live by the power of your flesh. You're going to be the baby floating around. You're not going to stay in the ark. You stay in the ark 
by the Spirit. All right, now flip over to 1 Corinthians, the next book over. Chapter 15, and we see more connections with this crazy arc, life, death, flesh, spirit thing. Chapter 15, verse 22. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, that word made in Greek is in the passive voice. And that passive voice means it's something that is done to them. It is made, they are made alive. God says, if you abide in Christ, if you trust him, I do something for you. I give you life. You are made alive. You partake of life. And then skip down to verse 31. He says, I affirm by the boasting in which you have heard in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So this ark thing that we're studying, this Moses, this isn't just a one-time thing that we do in our life. This is a daily surrendering of our life to the Lord. This is a daily decision to live by faith in the Spirit, by His strength. That's our life. We have to get in this ark every day daily. How do you do it? By faith. You say, I can't do this on my own, Lord. I need you. So I'm going to open up my word. I'm going to trust in your promises. I'm going to live by trusting you. Well, who should I date? Well, I'm going to trust you and your word, Lord. So who, who's honoring you? How can I honor you like your word says in my relationships? That's the way I'm going to go. I'm not going to dishonor you by taking things into my own hands. God has designed one way to be saved. There's one ark, and that one way is by Jesus only. And it's not about me trying to be more and more faithful. That is not what the Bible says we do every day. Uh, It's not about me trying to be more and more important or me trying to be more and more sincere. But when we struggle, when we trip up, what do we generally do? We say, oh, I really need to try harder next time. Don't we? That's our natural flesh tendency is, oh, this ark didn't save me this time. So you know what? I'm going to try to do it on my own. I'm going to try to swim the Nile on my own. And the crocodile's like, yeah, dinner. It's not about me and greater efforts. It's not about me and more commitment. It's not about me and, oh, if I only knew more. You already know enough to have a victorious Christian life because you know the name of Jesus. That is all you need. And I can prove it to you. I can, and you can say it this way. If it wasn't all about him and his power, then people with mental, mental handicaps would be at a disadvantage. But as it is in our world they can trust in the Lord just as much as we can because it's not about how much you know. It's about trusting in the Lord. We say it's not about me, it's only about you. That's how we live in this ark. All I need to do is keep my eyes on the one who is always faithful. That's what Hudson Taylor said after he had been a missionary in China for 10 years, and he had been trying and trying and trying and trying, and he's always worried. And then a guy, a friend, wrote him a letter, and in that letter, Hudson Taylor was set free of self-sufficiency because in that letter, his friend said, you don't have to try to be more and more faithful. Just keep your eyes on the one who is faithful. And in those words, Hudson Taylor was set free, and he never worried again for the next 60 years of his life in ministry. And God accomplished so much in him, and he never worried a day in his life. What did we learn at the beginning? The fear of man is not what God has for you. He says you can be free of worry and fear. uh, There's a, a whole industry in our country of giving medicine to people who are afraid. And I think sometimes, sometimes, the Lord says, no, that's not the solution. The solution is to put your trust in me and my word, and to believe what I've said. You don't have to worry about this, that, and the other. So when we say it's all about you, what we're saying is 
It's all about grace and what you do for me. Grace is what God gives to us, what God does for us. And when we put our hope in that, that's where we're saying it's all about you, it's not about me. It's grace that changes me. It's grace that produces the fruit that God wants to see in my life. Uh, one of, a verse that really has meant a lot to me is 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, that's a, that's a great verse, especially when you're an idiot. I, I am. And I, I remember this verse a lot because the Lord has come like, you're so faithless. How many times did Jesus take Peter aside and say, you have no faith, bro. You don't have any faith. Trust me. And Jesus was really honest with him. How long if I can hang out with you, Peter? But we are made alive in Christ. It is done to us. It's in the passive voice. And so don't think about your failures as something you need to get yourself out of. Think about your failures as something you just die in. Well, I failed. Well, that's what I do in the flesh. And so I lay my life down in the ark, on the cross. I see myself on the cross. I lay it down and I simply trust you and the work that you're going to do in me of making me alive and changing my behavior, changing who I am on the inside. Our one job is to abide. Well, what if I struggle with doubts and with worry? Well, living by faith is the, is the answer to that daily. It is a, a growth to do, do this living by faith thing. I want you to imagine two people getting on a plane. Okay? Now, one is at peace and like, I love flying. It's so exciting. Flying is, yeah, Kevin raises hands. Yes, I love flying. He's a pilot. So yeah, one person is super excited. And the other person is, is Dana. She hates flying. She hates flying with all that is inside her is she would rather die. She thinks she's going to die on every plane. <laughs> now, uh, imagine these two people getting on the plane together. You don't have to picture Dana. You can picture yourself. Now, they both get to the destination just fine. But one of them is going to have a great trip, looking at the Grand Canyon, looking at all the stuff, and just, oh, I love flying like a bird. It's so fun. And it's going to have all kinds. The other one is going to have all kinds of troubles, all kinds of stress and problems that they didn't need to experience. And the pilot was the same for both of these guys. My stepdad. He's a pilot for United. He's a good pilot. Way to go, Dad. <laughs> the amount that you're able to trust the pilot will determine your experience on the trip. Now, I'm not, we're not talking about salvation here. They both got on the plane. They both said, I trust Jesus to save me. But one of them said, I can also trust Jesus every day. And the other didn't grow in their walk with the Lord. They didn't grow in sanctification. They just sat there and worried and worried and worried. And their worry was not okay. It bothered all the other people on the plane next to them. And this is the life of abiding that we have. We can trust him. And when we don't abide, we're not going to be as fruitful as the person who does abide. Because in that abiding relationship, God equips you and enables you to serve him and have a great trip. So, back to our story. My goodness, we've only got through like one verse. Here we go. This baby boy is in the ark and he's a picture of salvation for us. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done for him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And so she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the, child, so the woman took the child and nursed him. One of the most amazing, wow, parts of the Bible. Every time I read it, I'm just like, oh, God, you're so cool at turning around something that Satan meant for evil and totally blessing people who trust you. Who's this woman? Jacobed. And what did she do? She trusted the Lord. And what did the Lord do in response? Major blessings in her life. Major, major blessings in her life. God takes what the enemy wanted to use to destroy and he turns it around for blessing. And this is how faith changes the world and not our efforts, not our works, but faith changes the world. It gives God a chance to work. God delights to mess with the plans of Satan. He loves messing them up. He's got no problem, but he will wait until you want to partner with him in it. He's looking far and wide for ways to mess with Satan. He's already won the war, and so now we can just kind of push him around. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it's a very important verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole world, the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. What does that mean? Faith. Those who will put their faith in him, those who will trust him and him alone. God is looking for those people and he wants to show himself strong. He doesn't want them to be exalted. He's going to be exalted by their trusting him. So now we see as the child grew that she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. But this is the time that Moses learned all the history of Israel. Moses learned the language of Israel. Moses learned the promises of God from his godly parents. And so they weren't weaned back then until a much later age than we're thinking. He was probably 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 even when he went to live in Pharaoh's house. And he even came to an understanding that God had saved him probably to be the deliverer of the people. Because his parents said, guess what, Moses? All of us are slaves, as you see, but you are going to get to go live in Pharaoh's house. And what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to save the people, Mom. Yeah, Moses had this in his heart. They had a promise, these Jews, that 400 years was the time limit. See, back in Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham and he said, you're going to be sojourners in a foreign land for 400 years because the wickedness of the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, there's people living in the promised land named Amorites and I love them and I'm giving them time to repent. And he gave a set time for them to repent. And so you're going to stay down there before I come in and kick some butt. That's what this book's about. So, they had this promise. And they believed, jo- Jacobed and Amram, that God was going to keep his promise. And they were looking at their watches and they said, look, the time is coming near. The sundial probably. The time is coming near where we're, God is going to do something. And look, Moses, it just looks like it's probably going to be through you. So she, the Pharaoh's wife, Pharaoh's daughter, called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days that when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he saw the Egyptian, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he took, looked this way, and he looked that way, and he saw no one. And so he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. What is Moses thinking in this situation? Well, Stephen tells us exactly what he was thinking in the book of Acts. 
In Acts chapter 7, verse 23, I'll read to you. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hands, but they didn't understand. So Moses has the right idea of like, I'm going to be used by God to deliver you guys. And that is God's plan, right? So what's Moses doing wrong? He's in a hurry. He's in a hurry. And Moses, when you're in a hurry, you do things by the flesh. God is never in a hurry. God is always patient. We are always in a hurry. And we love for things to get done. We're Americans. I got dinner. Can we get this wrapped up, this whole sanctification process? I'd like to watch my show tonight. Moses is getting things done in his flesh. That's, he thinks, I can, okay, well, I see something here, so I'm going to just go ahead and get it done because I know I can beat this guy up. I'm an awesome dude. I got muscles. I got power. I can get things done. And this is just another big way of saying Moses right now is prideful. It doesn't mean it doesn't know God, but he has a huge problem in his relationship with God and it's pride. And you know what your biggest problem is? Pride. And that's my biggest problem is pride. Pride. Moses spent 40 years becoming somebody Then God is going to spend 40 years making him nobody. And then the last 40 years, he's truly somebody that God can use and he can fulfill the purpose that God has in his life. God is not in a hurry. He is far more concerned with your heart than any world work that needs to be done in this world. Oh, I want to save all the hungry people in Denver. Well, you're prideful, so I can't use you. Sorry. I'd like, I'd like you to just trust me, God would say. Oh, but don't you see these big things? And if I'm not out there giving my best for these big ministries, and God says, I will purposefully make your ministries fail until you humble yourself, until you realize I will not be with pride. You cannot serve me in pride. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. God says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy, he's, he's pretty big on himself. I dwell with the, in the high and the holy place with him who is contrite and has a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Moses is not yet humble. Now, what's really cool is at the end of 40 years, the Bible says we're going to see Moses is the most humble person on the face of the earth. That's pretty cool. And he even wrote that about himself. See, right now, Moses has been trained at the best schools. He's rich. He's blessed. But all these things are not the main purpose for his life. You know, at this time, he's already a famous general in Egypt's army. I was doing some reading, and Flavius Josephus, you guys know Josephus, a really famous Jewish historian, he's got this crazy story you've got to go read about the war with the Ethiopians. When Moses was, uh, he was trained in all kinds of stuff, and, and the Pharaoh didn't really like him because he was a Jewish, but he, he had a problem with the Ethiopians, so he let Moses be the general to go lead the Egyptians up the Nile River, which would have been south, uphill, and, and to go fight the Ethiopians, okay? And so Moses, he knew that the Ethiopians were going to expect him to come up the Nile River, and so what Moses did is he went through the desert all around the outside. But nobody went through the desert because there was flying snakes. That's what Josephus said. Flying, poisonous snakes. Snakes that would jump at you and fly and bite. Ah, and people would die Anytime in the desert. They said there was more of them than there were rocks, they said. There's just snakes everywhere. So Moses got his army together, and he made these baskets, these wicker baskets with these ibis birds, these birds with these really long beaks. And they're the only birds that eat these flying snakes. But they don't really eat them. They just kill them by stabbing them in the heart and ripping their heart out. Don't ask me how they know where a snake's heart is. I didn't even know snakes had hearts. So they, 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 they had carry ibises on their shoulders one on each shoulder and they ran through the desert and the snakes were jumping at them and the birds ate the snakes hearts and that's how they went and beat the ethiopians because they surprised them on their backside when the ethiopians were waiting on the nile river crazy story 
But now you know Moses was a pretty famous guy at this point. <laughs> I love that story. Go read it. It's like I didn't even exaggerate. <laughs> but Moses here, he sees the right problems. He's gonna ki- he kills this Egyptian. He sees the right problems. He even trusts the Lord and makes some good choices. He just goes about it in the wrong way at the wrong time. He's not freely, truly free of self-sufficiency right now. Hebrews 11 tells us this, okay? Back in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So this was a, a faithful decision by Moses to say, you know what, I'm done, I'm not going to be the next Pharaoh, even though he was probably in line to be the next Pharaoh. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. For he looked for reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses has already decided that he was choosing God. That part was done in his heart. That's great. He chose God over all the treasures of Egypt that were his to own. He, he already chose to be, a Hebrew, to be a Hebrew saver, no matter how the king, what the king was going to do to him. He could see God's long-term plan, and he trusted him long-term, but he got impatient. And God said, you know what? We need to wait for 40 years. Because there were parts of his heart that still believed in the sufficiency of his flesh parts of his heart. Not all of his heart, but parts of his heart. And that's why this failure happened, and that's why there was time and patience needed. Why won't God answer me right now? Because you don't fully trust him. But I do trust him. But you don't. You don't. I don't. There are still corners and crevices of dark doubt in our hearts and our trials and our struggles and our waiting is God's way of helping us get into those deep crevices. Moses is going to have to wait these 40 years in the desert, but it's not punishment. And when you have to wait for an answer, it's not God punishing you, period. It's development. It's training. It's detox from self-sufficiency. And we need it. We need that detox. Because we have grown to trust our flesh and to love our flesh so powerfully. And that's why we need to wait. And that's why patience is good. We have to be patient in our seasons and suffering and trials because God is doing something. God is working in our hearts. Nothing is wasted by God. You might think this is a day that was totally wasted and I'm just done with it. And we get so impatient. And you know what? If if there was an Egyptian here, I'd knock him in the face. Well, I haven't seen any Egyptians around, but they're safe. God could not let the deliverance of people be done by the strength of men. That would ruin his plan. It would ruin the picture. It would ruin the type of Jesus. See, this whole thing of of them being down in Egypt is a picture of Jesus saving you and me and all the people that get saved in our day. It's because this picture of Jesus holds true, that God delivers his people by his strength. They do nothing except complain and doubt him and then follow him just a little. And it also can't be done when we trust our flesh. We can't get saved. We can't grow in our relationship with God when we trust in our flesh. The deliverance can only be by Jesus. And God is not very concerned whether you like him or not. Did you know that? He is doing a work of teaching you how to trust him. You don't have to like that. You got 40 years to wait, maybe. You can say a lot of your true thoughts in 40 years on the backside of the desert, which I'm sure Moses does. But through that time, he learns to trust the Lord. And when we're in that time where we have to be patient, 
His love for us can't be challenged. Parenting tip. Since God is not very concerned whether you like him or not, don't try to be your kids' friends. Be their parent. I'll let that go. Back to the story. And he went out on the second day, and behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? And he said, Who made you prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared. Oh, that means he's in his flesh, right? Because if he was in the spirit, he wouldn't be afraid. He feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from his face, the face of Pharaoh, and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Well, Moses probably feels very defeated right at this point, wouldn't you? He's sad. He's discouraged. And that's how a lot of us feel when we see the reality of what our flesh can really accomplish. When we see the consequences of our choices. But he does a good thing, Moses does. He goes and sits by a well. And this reminds us of the picture of going back to the wellspring of life or Jesus after we fail. It's a good picture for us. Jesus said, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Some people, when they fail, they run from God, right? Well, God is the only one who could satisfy their thirst. He knows they're in the desert. He knows they're hungry. They're tired. He's saying, just come back to me, and if you're thirsty, I'll give you a drink. Are you doing that? If you will come back to the Lord, just watch what God provides. God's pretty good to those who come back to him. Look what happens with Moses here. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Um, Now, this guy, this priest of Midian, he was a descendant of Abraham also, okay? Uh, he was just from Abraham's wife after Sarah died named Keturah, okay? So Abraham had more kids with Keturah after Sarah died. And, and so this guy probably is a priest of the, the true and living God. This is a good guy, okay? He lived in Midian. He's probably worshiping the God. And, and it says, And they come and drew water, these seven daughters, and they filled the troughs of water for their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And here we see that Moses is already becoming a servant. He comes back to Jesus, and the first thing that changes is instead of him being the prince and the lord and the king over you guys, listen to me, he's just serving. Hey, you guys need help? Let me help you. And this is the first step in learning how to lead people. And Moses has 40 years more learning, but he's got a good first step right here. And so they, when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us to, and watered the flock. So he said to his daughter, daughters, where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. He's like, we don't get a lot of handsome guys around here. We need to, I need to get, what are you guys thinking? Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Though these events, uh, or excuse me, through these events, God is placing in Moses a heart for the people that he is going to lead in the future. He's changing Moses' heart. You see, Moses would have no credibility in their eyes without this experience that he's about to go through, 40 years of living in a strange land. Moses, you're just, you grew up in Pharaoh's house. You don't know what it's like to be a slave. You don't know what it's like to not be comfortable. Well, God... It's going to allow Moses to go through some really difficult times during these 40 years so that Moses can say, yes, I do. I know how tough it is. I don't understand why my growing up was so hard. I don't understand why God let me go through all these difficult things and my dad died and my dog died and I've been, got beat by my whatever. Yes, those things are awful. I don't minimize any of those things. But God does sometimes allow us to go through difficult things Because he's preparing you to minister to other people. People who also 
are going through difficult things. Now, if you want your ministry to be to easy people, then live an easy life. But there's no easy people. So there's no ministry. So if you want to be involved in ministry at all, you have to go through tough times so that you have that that power. We're almost done. I know we've gone so far, but we're almost done here. Look at this. He says, uh, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And so God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged him. Now, understand, God never forgot them, but it's the word he uses here. God is compassionate towards his people. But notice the reason for his mercy is something called his covenant, his promises. It's not because they deserved it. It's not because of their race. And it's not because of their sincerity or anything that they've done or he just feels sad that they're slaves. None of those things. It's simply because he made a promise. And he will always keep his promise. He will always keep his word. He glorifies his word above his name. Why do you trust in the Lord so much? Why do you have so much confidence in the Lord? Why do you think that he will answer your prayers and listen to you and help you? Because he's proven that he loves me. And he made me promises that I can count on and I can depend on. That's crazy. Oh, really? It seems like that's what an entire $300 billion wedding industry is based on in our country. Some goofball says he loves you. And then he makes a promise. And you go crazy on that promise, based solely on that promise, living by faith on that promise. You spend money on on dresses and on flowers and on venues and all kinds of stuff because... You trust some weirdo's promise when he said he loved you. You don't even know who this guy is. What did God think about Saturn? He liked it so much he put a ring on it. I love that joke. Beyonce. Anyway. um, But when it comes to the Lord, we have a hard time believing his promise. You know, the declaration of love that he makes isn't just some goofball saying, I love you, marry me. He he gives us four different books where his love is thoroughly described and explained. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where he loves you. And then he gives you an engagement ring. A promise that's just as real as the stupid metal thing you wear on your finger. It's called the Holy Spirit, which we recognize as a changed heart. And when our heart starts to long for different things and we start to be convicted of sin and not just love sin, that's his promise to us that it's real. That change in us. It's invisible but to the outside, but it's just as real to us as any ring that we wear on our fingers. And so, if you can understand the crazy behavior of engaged women, then you can know and understand what's expected of you as a Christian. If your time of engagement to Jesus isn't that exciting, what's wrong? You guys are all, we're all just engaged to Jesus right now. That's the life we're living. We're not like, we haven't consummated the marriage up in heaven yet. We're just engaged right now. So why isn't it that exciting to some of us? Revelation 2.4 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Remember that with God, this is a covenant thing. He's a covenant God. He has promised to be your bridegroom. He's done all the work required for this covenant with his own blood. And he always remembers you. He always acknowledges you like he did the children of Israel right here. He, He never leaves you or forsakes you, and he never will. Open your Bible and read with the zealousness of a fiancé girl reading her lover's letters. Pray with the passion of a wife speaking to her husband who's away in a far country on FaceTime. Let's pray. Would you guys stand with me?
Thank you so much for hanging tough. That was a long chapter, but we got through all of it. We're going to sing a song. We have uh, communion right over here. So what that means is that if you believe in Jesus and you would like to come up and, and take communion, he encourages us to do that so that we just keep our minds on what he did and not what we do. So he gave his body, so we eat the cracker. He gave his blood, so we drink the grape juice. And, and so it's, it helps us with this picture of he does it, we receive it. And that's how that all works. So would you guys pray with me? Father, I love that I can call you my father and that I have no um, doubts that you are with me and that you love me. Lord, thank you so much for this uh, book that is changing my heart. And I'm seeing your faithfulness over and over and over again. Thank you for all these beautiful people giving their time and their hearts to you and your word. And I pray that you would work in us new faith, new patience, new uh, trust in you. I pray you would do that for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.